We're going to continue on in Ephesians this week. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 10 through uh, 17. Uh, if you remember la- the la- last week, we talked about our social interactions, specifically children to parents and parents to children, and then in, the, in Scripture, it's boss to slave and slave to boss. We kind of uh, took that and said, okay, none of us are slaves, so how does that then apply to our, our uh, boss and employee and employee boss sort of thing? Paul then continues on in these next couple verses, and he talks about the armor of God. Now, these are some of the most well-known verses, not just in Ephesians, but really in Scripture, right? You're in Sunday school, and you learn the armor of God. You put the, the pieces of the armor on a felt board uh, with a person and stuff like that. Does everybody here remember the felt, the green felt boards, right? I'm just old enough that I still had them when I was in Baptist Sunday school. Amen. <laughs> Flannel, you're right, I'm sorry. I used the wrong word, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right, so these are some of the most well-known verses, but here's the thing that we want to talk about today and really focus on. We are in a war, right? In in Sunday school, we kind of not make light of it, but kind of pare it down a little bit. You know, we don't want to scare the kids. I don't want to scare adults, but I want to open our eyes to the fact that we are in a war. Now, this war society says isn't real because you can't see it. You see the outcomes of the battles in the real world, but you can't see the battles. You cannot see the adversary. And so we kind of push it to the side because it will make us look weird sometimes when we talk about it. But scripture is full of not just references, but direct telling us that we are in a battle. And that we are in a battle and a war that we, you and I, cannot win. Only God can win it. He chooses to use us as his soldiers. And because of that, he goes, I will give them what they need to win it. As we read through these verses, make no mistake. You and I cannot win without the help of God. Satan is stronger than you. Every demon is stronger than you. None of them are stronger than God who is in you. We need to remember that as we walk through these verses. Let's read it. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. It reads, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's dive into this. Number one on your note sheets, know your enemy. Know your enemy. I'm a history person. I'm not a tactician when it comes to battle. I would not be a general on the field or anything like that. But I do enjoy reading things about people, some of the greatest generals in history, whether they be Alexander or Napoleon or Robert E. Lee or, uh, and, and such. And I like seeing how they, how they 
looked at things. And one of the key elements that you'll see for every winning side in a war is that they knew who their enemy was and they understood their enemy. They didn't just cognitively know which person was the enemy. They understood the schemes and they understood what the enemy was trying to do. We can't win when we're fighting the wrong thing. So Paul begins this section and he says, listen, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then he tells the church in Ephesus and eventually us, listen, this is who your enemy is. Your enemy is Satan and spiritual forces. That's why you can't see them. We don't live on the spiritual plane. We live on the natural plane. One day we'll be on the supernatural plane, but not now. Now we live in the physical world. Satan is your enemy. There is a sect of Christianity that believes that the word Satan is not a real person or, or, or being, right? But is a term used to just describe evil and just a general sense. I don't see anywhere in scripture that says that. One of their key things that they used to defend that is that the word Satan just means adversary. So they're like, see, it just, it just means that. But everywhere I see in scripture where it mentions Satan, it talks about a very specific being and the same one every time. We have an enemy. He is the general in charge of his troops, which are the demons. We have an enemy. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Satan is not God. He is not on par with God. Good and evil are not on par with each other. God is the all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God. Satan is a created being who decided he wanted to try to be God. He is not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-knowing. Now, he knows more than you or I do, but he is not all-knowing. I would wager most of the money I've ever seen in the world, maybe not all, but most, that none of us have ever been directly tempted by Satan himself. We just aren't important enough. Sorry. Doesn't mean we haven't been tempted by demons. But I don't know if Satan has ever showed up in little old New Milford and spoken in any of our ears. He's got bigger fish to fry than us. Which is one of the reasons I think that we should be even bigger and make ourselves. I want Satan to be scared of little old New Milford and think he has to come here himself. But scripture says you stand against Satan. And then it says this, know who your enemy is. See, the problem is we as Christians a lot of time have become convinced about who our enemy is. Let me tell you who it's not. It is not a government. It is not a person. It is not an institution. It is not an ideology. Scripture is abundantly clear about who we fight against. Now, I'm not going to tell you that some institutions or governments or people are not the direct result of those spiritual forces. I'm not telling you not to vote for the things you think are righteousness. What I'm saying is, do you spend more time complaining about who is president than on your knees praying against the spiritual forces that are fighting to bring down the church? Because if you are, you're not fighting the real enemy. You're fighting the symptoms of the enemy. Know who your enemy is. The armor of God really doesn't do much against people because it's not designed for that. It's like chainmail armor. Chainmail was worn underneath armor. Chainmail was great at stopping slashing. The sword or the knife or whatever would glance off of it. It would hurt, you'd get bruised, but it would glance off of it. However, when you stabbed chainmail, it just split right apart. The armor of God is specifically designed to defend against spiritual forces and spiritual attacks, not human. 
I'm not saying that there aren't evil people in this world. I'm not saying that we shouldn't necessarily sometimes go to war against those evil people. Hitler was a horrible man. It was not a bad thing that we went to World War II. But there was a spiritual battle going on there as well. And if you don't think there was, look at who Hitler attacked first. It was God's people. So know your enemy. Before we even can talk about this armor and how to use it and how to put it on, know who we are fighting. Don't get distracted by this world. Understand the enemy. So that's number one. Know your number and know your enemy. Number two on your note sheets there, put on the armor. Put on the armor. In verse 13, Paul says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. In other translations, he says, put on the full armor of God. It's the same idea. It's in action. You have to do it. You don't wake up every morning with the armor on. You wake up every morning, and the armor's sitting next to you, and you've got to decide to put those clothes on every day. And let me tell you this. If you do not actively decide to put it on, then you have actively decided not to put it on. There's no middle ground. There's no, oh, you know, I'm tired, and so I only want, you know, I, I think I'm just going to put on the helmet today. It's fine. No, no, no. You either actively decide to put it on, or you have chosen not to put it on. Going to war without armor is one of the stupidest things you could do. In war times, the people without armor are the people that die. Sometimes some generals would just kind of put those guys out there to soften up the defenses of the enemy. God doesn't want to do that to you. He handpicked and then handed you armor to help you survive, and not just survive, but thrive in this war. But you've got to decide to put it on. So let's look at these individual pieces. Each piece probably could have its own sermon. We're not going to do that today, but we are going to spend the next 10 to 15 minutes talking about the pieces as a whole. The first piece he talks about, right, is the belt of truth. In this translation, the New American Standard, he says there in verse 14, having girded your loins with truth. Now, underneath your armor, you would have worn a long tunic of some kind. We think of shirts, but this tunic would have gone down at least to the knees, if not a little bit past it. And what the belt did was hold that tunic in place so that it didn't trip you. The belt of truth not just holds everything together. It stops you from tripping up. Truth stops us from tripping up. You'll, re you'll see as we go through each piece that God tells Paul each piece specifically to perform the specific job that is required. Truth stops you from tripping. Now here's the thing. Truth is only true if it's God's truth. It does not matter what the world says truth is. It does not matter what culture or society or you or I say truth is. What matters is what does this book say truth is? Because this book is God's word, and we're going to talk about that when we get to the sword. But it contains our truth. I'm not saying not to have science. I'm not saying not to have medicine. I'm not saying not to study history or math or this or that. What I'm saying is when it comes to moral and theological truths, the things that stop you from tripping up in this life, your truth should not come from what your friends say or what the president says or what the speaker of the house says, whether they be Republican or Democrat, conservative, Rush Limbaugh or, or, or whoever. What should matter is what this book says and only this book. Not even what I say 
or your favorite pastor, your favorite speaker. What should matter is what does this book say? And if you tie yourself, your belt, with this, you won't ever trip up. You never be tripped up by the enemy's forces, by the enemy's attacks. He continues on then, and he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. In Jeremiah, I believe it's Jeremiah if I remember correctly, we read that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Your heart needs special protection. So what a breastplate did, it covered you from about the neckline down to the waist, and it protected all of your vital organs. Paul says righteousness protects your vital organs and specifically your heart. Righteousness is what stops your heart from being deceitful and desperately wicked. Now, if we're going to say that, then we should define what righteousness is. And if I may borrow the definition that my mom uses over in children's church, righteousness is words and actions that are pleasing to God. Pretty simple definition. Makes it real simple for us. The problem is we don't like to do those actions. But if we want to protect our heart from the schemes of the evil one, from the schemes of our enemies, we need to practice righteousness daily. Every moment of every day. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, righteous. He continues on then, and he talks about the shoes. And the shoes, a lot of the time, end up kind of getting pushed to the side a little bit when it comes to the armor of God, right? We love the sword and the breastplate and the helmet and all that stuff, but, but the, the, the shoes kind of sometimes just got to get pushed to the side. Which kid wants to put the shoes on the board? That's no fun. The shoes, however, are one of the most important pieces of it. They're all important, but your shoes, a good pair of shoes, what do they do? They offer you protection and they offer you stability, right? A good pair of shoes gives your whole body the ability to go on. If your knees constantly hurt, what is one of the things you do? You buy insoles that go where? In your shoes. Because it is your feet that commands the rest of the body a lot of the time. And Paul says you want stability and you want protection. It's the gospel. The other thing that shoes allow you to do is to walk and go out places without fear of hurting yourself. I'm not a fan of shoes. Most of the time when I'm around my home, I don't wear shoes. I don't like them. However, I cannot deny that I have had my fair share of foot injuries, whether they be stubbed toes or slivers or cuts or rocks digging right up into the sole or the, you know, the, the, the bridge of your foot and it hurts. And if I was wearing shoes, that stuff wouldn't have happened. Shoes allow you to go without fear. And that is also what the gospel does. So the shoes of readiness are twofold. They allow you to go out into this world, into the battle, into the war, without fear because you have the gospel. And they give you stability throughout it all because you have the gospel. The gospel is the single most important thing in all of scripture. Everything points to it from before and everything points back to it. The whole of history has pointed to the cross. It is our foundation when it comes to this whole thing. You can have the breastplate on and the belt and the helmet and the shield and the sword, and yet there's rocks all over the place and you're walking out on them. So what good is the rest of the armor without shoes? 
He continues on then, and he says the shield. Now, the shield of faith. A lot of us, when we think of a shield, we think more of a medieval-era shield, which was a buckler, which was, or, or maybe you've seen the, uh, the Marvel movies. I'm a huge Captain America fan. He's my favorite superhero. And he's got a shield, and the shield covers about yay big, right? That's a lot of times what we think of as a shield, except that's not what the Romans would have thought of when Paul says a shield, and I know this church is in Ephesus, but Ephesus was owned by Rome. So what they would have thought of was a shield that covered from about, yay high, down to about just above your ankles, depending on your height as a person. Right about that size. It protected almost the entirety of the body. And if you needed more protection, you could drop the extra two inches and duck behind it fairly easily. This was a large shield made for protection because the way that they fought was side by side. They didn't fight like, I don't know if you've ever seen like Gladiator or movies like that, which might be good movies, but they don't accurately depict how Roman warfare was waged. Well, what happened was you stood side by side with everybody and you had a spear and you walked forward. This shield protected everybody, but it was big enough to protect your whole body. And that is what faith does. When you are defended by faith in God, Satan's arrows can't get through. What happens, though, is we start going, well, I wonder just how bad those arrows might be. And we start slowly looking out from around the shield. And now it can't offer us any protection. And we slowly lose that faith that protects us from the fiery darts or the fiery arrows that Satan throws at us, shoots at us, you know, whatever. But when we stand firm behind faith in God and in Christ, it defends us from the lies and the deceit and the, and the words of, of Satan and his, and, his, and his demons that are there to cut us and tear us down. What would happen is, in warfare a lot of the time, you would shoot volleys of arrows to soften or weaken the defenses of the enemy. That is what Satan does. He volleys these flaming darts that are lies. Sometimes they're not lies. Sometimes they're true, but it's old truths about us that are no longer true about us because of who we have now, because of who Christ is making us. But he volleys these arrows at us, and if we stand behind the shield of faith, we're protected. But the moment we start going, well, I just how bad could they be? We start getting riddled, and that opens us up for the rest of Satan's attacks. Faith is the first defense against what Satan tries to do to us. He continues on then, and he says, the helmet of salvation. Now, I want to make something very clear before we talk about this. Just because you are saved does not mean you put on the helmet of salvation. It's not just always on. You still have to go and put it on. I'm not saying you lose your salvation when you take it off or anything like that. You are still saved. But to remember your salvation and have it protect your mind is something you must do every day. There are two major battlefields within yourself. The heart, which we already covered when we talked about the breastplate, and the mind. Your mind is the most powerful computer. It's incredible what your mind can do, what it stores. Protect it, because your mind will dictate the rest of you. If you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I had such a bad night's sleep and today's just going to be a bad day. I can already feel it. You know what today's going to be? A bad day. It doesn't matter what happens in it. 
If you wake up in the morning and you go, you know, I might not have had the best sleep, but you know what, God, I'm trusting you for today. Does it mean you're going to have the greatest day you've ever had? No, it doesn't. But it means that your mindset will be right. And the things that happen in will not tear you down. Your mind controls everything else. Protect it with salvation. Satan will try to convince you that you are not truly saved or that God has forgotten you. Salvation reminds us he hasn't and he never will. Because how could a person who went through what Christ went through forget the person he went through it for? And that's what salvation does. When Satan starts saying, Sam, you've done wrong, you've done this, this, and this, God doesn't love you anymore, I can look at it and go, I understand I did wrong and there's going to be consequences for that. But one of those consequences is not that God doesn't love me because look at the cross. Satan has no answer for that. Satan has no answer for the cross. Protect your mind. Protect your thoughts with salvation. Then he talks about the last piece. And when I was a kid, this was my favorite piece. What young boy doesn't want a sword, right? The sword is not only the only offensive weapon that we are given, it is also an extremely important defensive weapon, which is something I didn't understand as a kid. Because when you think of a sword, all you think of is slashing and stabbing. I killed so many orcs and who knows what else outside with a stick between the ages of 8 and 26. Broke a lot of them too. But a sword was not just an offensive weapon. It was a defensive tool as well. Paul tells us in that following verse, he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which we have the whole of. They didn't even have the whole of it yet. And it was still the sword. We have the whole of it. Think about it. When Christ is being tempted when he's in the desert, what does he use to defend himself? Scripture. And what does he use to finally, in the end, attack Satan and get him to leave? Scripture. This is what you hold in your right hand. Your left hand if you're left-handed, but they probably would have trained you to use it in your right hand anyway so that you didn't mess up the, the, uh, the shield wall and such. So, this is what you hold to both defend yourself against Satan's attacks and to attack him back or the, the, his demons, right? I'm using Satan as the main one here, but you know what I mean. It doesn't matter what else you do, how you try to attack or defend if you're not basing it all and using all of Scripture. Now, I want to make a few things clear. Is it of the utmost importance that you know chapter and verse for every single thing you know? It's not. Should you? Yes. You should be able to say, well, this is where it's found. But it's more important that you know that it's in there than that you know exactly where it's found. The other thing is, well, have most of us have these little devices anymore. And if I just hit this little button on the side of mine, Google will come up and be like, what do you want? And I'll say, where does it say in the Bible that God made the Leviathan, which is in Job 40 in case you want to know. By the way, that's one of my favorite passages of scripture because it tells me that dragons existed at one point. A fire-breathing lizard, come on. So it's a, we have that tool. But it's also important to understand and know where it comes from. It is not the most important. Jesus didn't quote the chapter and verse. He said it is written. Here's the thing. When you know that it is written, Satan can't go against that. He can lie and say, well, is it written? But even look back at the garden. Did he say God didn't say to do this? Or did he just twist it? Because he knew that it's what it's God said. 
Satan oftentimes will not tell you the Bible doesn't say that. He tries to twist it. But when you know, then he can't twist it anymore. The other thing I want to make clear about this thing, one of the things that we are fighting against is not just spiritual forces, but the strongholds that they create. Those strongholds make, uh, are, are, can be seen in our physical world. And we're almost done here. I know we're five minutes later, so. You know, we were supposed to be done at 1030. It's getting closer and closer to 1045 as the years go on. But strongholds in your life do not come down unless you are battling the spiritual side of it. Counseling is a great thing. Do not misunderstand me. Medication for things that you need medications for are a great thing. Do not misunderstand me. But you will not defeat depression. You will not defeat anxiety. You will not defeat the addiction. You will not defeat the things of this world unless you are actively fighting against these spiritual strongholds that have also been set up. And the only thing that we use to fight that is scripture. The whole thing comes back to that. The whole armor of God is all about Scripture. Where do we find the reasons for our faith? Scripture. Where do we find the gospel? Scripture. Where do we find our instructions for righteousness? Scripture. Go down through them all. And all of it is Scripture. Know this book. It is your greatest tool. I don't want to say weapon. It is your greatest tool in this war that we are fighting. Last thing. Understand this. The war has already been won. It was won eons ago. It was won before it started. But battles can still be lost. The war is already won. Battles can still be lost, though. It is our job to make sure that those battles aren't lost. God gives us every tool that we need. And if we put on that armor then those battles aren't lost. Now, people have to make their own decisions. I'm not, I'm not saying that when you're wearing the armor, everything is going to go exactly how you want it to go. But what I'm telling you is that if you don't put on the armor, nothing will go how you want it to go. But with that armor, you can stand against the schemes that Satan throws at us. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you again this morning. I'm asking, Father, that you help us to put on the armor of God, the armor that you provided for us. Father, I'm asking that you help us to understand and know our enemies so that we're fighting against the right thing, against the spiritual forces and the strongholds that they create in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. We want to see change. We've got to break the chains that they have set up. Father, I ask that you give us boldness to walk in and do it. You give us the strength to do it. And I thank you for the armor that you've already provided if we just put it on. And Father, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.